right. It's a joy to be here with you this morning. And uh, I believe that today God has a word for us that he wants to encourage us with, a word that he wants to share with us that I believe can take us forward in some things that I believe he wants to accomplish. And so I've titled today's message simply this, Fulfilling Our Responsibility. Now we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 14. And uh, as we think about going there, though, let me just kind of tell you what this centers around. So chapter 24 of Matthew was the chapter whenever the disciples asked Jesus, you know, really, uh, when, how long is it going to be before you establish your kingdom? And he starts off and he tells them a list of things that are going to happen. And there's this, this list that lets them know it's going to be some time before he, co- he returns and establishes his kingdom. But when we get to chapter 25, he says that, that in that chapter, he gives three parables. And in those parables, he says there's two types of people that you're going to find in this, in this time. And so he has, in the first parable he tells is the parable of what's called the virgins. And it's the parable of there are wise ones and there are foolish ones. And in the parable we're going to be looking at today is the parable of the talents. And he talks about those that are faithful and those that are unfaithful. And then the last one he gives at the end of chapter 25 is the parable where he talks about when he returns is going to separate the people as one separates sheep from the goats. And so as we come to this, we're going to be looking at this middle parable that he tells because, and the reason why this is big, one, it's really two reasons. One is because in some ways, in, in fact, in many ways, this parable, what Jesus says here has become kind of a life message in my own life. But not only that, I want to just share this with you, just a thought. And, and I, I just want you to think about this. So in 2033, I know that sounds way off in the future, but in 2033, the church will celebrate 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the grave and since he ascended to the Father. And so I think that for us, that puts within us a decade before that time. In fact, at our church, we're starting next week, uh, literally a series projecting forward a 10-year just vision, calling just literally a decade to believe. It's It's literally stepping in to become who we believe God wants us to be. But I want you to think about your own life. What if, and I'm not saying Jesus is going to return, don't hear that. But what I am saying is that day's coming. And what are we going to do in these next years to fulfill our part in the divine assignment that God has given to each one of us? And so in Matthew chapter 25, I want to share with you here just kind of some things that I hope will encourage you. And so as we look into this, the focus that we see here is, is that God calling us to live according to an ability that he wants to live through us in. Each one of us, I believe, have a divine assignment. Each one of us are called to that. And so just kind of my key thought today on how do we do it? How do we live what God wants us to live? And this is kind of my key focus thoughts. If you want to write this down, you can, but it's simply this. The believer's responsibility is our faith response to God's ability. That literally our responsibility before God is how we respond by faith to his ability. 
You see, whenever I grew up, I grew up in church. In fact, many of you may know who my dad is. My dad is Dr. Philip Jett. He pastored for years Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee, and he's still plugging right along, just staying at it even today at 87 years old, still ministering to people and just an awesome guy. And I grew up in a great family, grew up in that. But I know that for years, I went down at nine years old and did all the things, was baptized and was a good kid, tried to stay out of a lot of trouble. And, and I thought that Christianity basically was this, was that you give your life and you get saved and then you just wait till you die so you go to heaven. And kind of thought that's what it was. Until I moved, we lived in Kansas City, Missouri, where I grew up. And we, whenever I transferred colleges and came to Union University, and for the very first time in my life, I met believers that were my age that believed this stuff and that lived this stuff. And, and something spurred inside of me that, man, I didn't have what they had. And so I did what typical would be is I started saying, okay, I got to do better. I got to, you know, I got to get my act together and I got to start living in the right way. And so I started down that road, doing all of that kind of stuff, trying to do the right things, but I still knew something was missing. And at 22 years old, I gave my life to Christ. And when I gave my life to Christ, man, everything changed on the inside. But in, in some ways for the first few years, not everything changed on the outside. And here's what I mean by that. You see, I'm a driven kind of personality. I want to do what, what, what is, I'm called to do. I'm really big on fulfilling your responsibility. In fact, at my church and our, and our staff especially, but also with our people, I just kind of say, man, do your job. Do your job. God has a responsibility for you. Just do your job. Don't try to do other people's jobs. Don't complain about other people not doing their jobs. Just do your job. And in a similar way, that's the way I wanted to live my life was to push myself to fulfill what I thought I was supposed to do. The problem was I was doing it my own strength. And so I was miserable. I was negative. I was complaining. And I was, in some ways, I was mean when it came to the Bible. I was a very good religious person. And over the next few years, God had to work on me until ultimately he taught me what I want to share with you today. And that's how do we give a faith response and allow God's abilities that dwell in us to live through us? And so if you have the outline, I want to write this down. The first thing we need to look at is what I'm calling the reality of our capability. The reality of our capability. Now, I want you to see this in this passage in, in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Listen to what it says. It says this. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability, then he went away. Now, you're going to see a couple of things here. One is that it's, it's all his, and he was entrusting stewardship to those that were with him. And as we look at this and see this, there were some he entrusted five talents to others, two and to another, to one. And as he gave that, Jesus is giving an illustration that he says, hey, all of us aren't called to the same task, but we're all called. Now, let me tell you one of the misnomers in this is whenever we look at that is that word talent. And many of us kind of think of talents being kind of like, okay, this person has a lot of talent because they can go to the Olympics and do really good, but I got no talents. And so they think, I don't know what to do with it. And that's not what a talent is. Actually, what a talent was in the New Testament in the first century was an equivalent. It was a money, a monetary amount, and it was equivalent to 20 years of a laborer's work, 20 years pay. So I, I just wanted you to think about that for just a minute. And I just want to give you some numbers. Uh, 
I guess it was yesterday, the day before, I just looked up in Memphis, the Memphis area, what is not the average income, because the average income for family households in Memphis is about 68000 but what's the median income? In other words, you take the poorest to the richest, and you just hit a midpoint. What is the median income uh, in the Memphis area? And the median in household income is $43,981 a year. Now, let me just tell you what that would mean if God says, I'm going to give you one talent. One talent, literally, if he were to do that in today's numbers to people living in Memphis, would be $879,620. Two talents would be $1,759,240. And then five talents would be $4,398,100. Here's the point. That when Jesus said this, he was giving to each a sizable amount to steward a sizable amount to steward. And so here's a truth that I want you to think about. Jesus has given each one of his followers a sizable amount of his anointing to steward. Don't think that, well, you know, I got saved, but there isn't much I can do. I want to tell you that he has entrusted to you with a responsibility to steward, to steward in his kingdom a sizable amount of work and, and opportunities that he wants to bring through you. He hasn't given anybody just kind of, well, you know, it's okay for you to just kind of slide in. But for all of us, he says, I'm ready to do through you exceeding and abundant beyond anything you could even ask or think. I'm ready to do it. And we need to understand that, that that's the capability that we live in, that all of us have that within us. We have an anointing inside of us. My wife, Kathy, and I both grew up in great families. We both have just had great parents. We've been blessed to have that. And I remember before we had any children, we were newly married. It didn't, we were living, actually, I'd just moved. I was in computers for years, and, uh, and we had moved to Atlanta, Georgia. I was working for a company there. And as we were just kind of sitting there talking about that, and we were talking about some people that we knew that, that didn't grow up like that, I just looked at her and I said, Kathy, to whom much is given, much is required. I knew that was somewhere in the Bible. I didn't know where. But right then and there, as a young couple, we just knelt before God and we said, God, we don't know what you want to do, but we know that you have given us much. And so, Lord, we want to make sure we live it the way you want us to live it, that we fulfill what you want to do through us. Now, that I found out later that actually comes out of the Scriptures in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Listen to what it says. It says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And so we need to understand that God is saying to us, he says, listen, I'm ready to do exceeding and abundant beyond anything you could ask or think through you. I've made you more capable than you think. But that brings me to the second thing that he says in this passage as we look at it. First, the reality of our capability. But secondly is this, the certainty of our accountability. The certainty of our accountability. Look at what he says as we go to verse 19. He says this, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now guys, don't be deceived in this. There's been a false teaching in the church, especially in the West for many, many years. And that is, well, I'm saved and what does it matter? I'm going to go to heaven anyway. Well, let me just say, first of all, with that attitude, I, I would question your salvation. But let me also say along with that, that we're going to stand before God, each one of us, and give an account for what he has entrusted, stewarded to us. It's just a reality. I know it's, 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 a, it's a certainty that we're going to be living in, 
We will each give an account for how we have invested the spiritual talent, if you will, that God has given to us. I believe that God wants to do before, through us more than we could imagine. You know, the Bible says this, and he's talking to believers whenever he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so there's just another truth I want to give you here, but then I want to say something about this. Here's the truth I just want to just share with you, though, is that every believer will stand before the Lord to give an account. That is just a reality that we need to come and in grips with. Now, before you start freaking out about this, we know that God, while he's the creator of the universe, if you've given him your life, he is your father. And as your father, guess what? And I know this because being a dad and then watching my three sons as dads, your daddy, your father wants you to succeed more than you do. He wants you to fulfill the divine assignment that he has for you more than even you do. So he is not against you, but for you, the Bible says. He wants this to happen, and he wants whenever you come before him, for him to be excited, you know, just like any loving parent would be. That whenever you come, oh, man, I'm ready. I'm ready for you. I've been waiting for you to be here. That's where God is. That's what he desires for us. But we need to understand that we will stand before him. It's a, it's a reality that we must understand, the certainty of that. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, I can tell you that one of, the, one of the things that really made it difficult for me, one, my dad was a pastor, and so I saw the backside of what that looked like as a preacher's kid, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And then whenever God called me into it, I was like, boy, that is a bad idea because I don't, I'm not like my dad at all, and I just don't know that I could do that. But then I also, as I started walking in that and started by faith walking into it, I saw the responsibility. And, and I'm telling you, it's sobering. The Bible says it this way in, uh, in the scripture. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, listen to what it says. It says this, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Now listen to what it says. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. I'm going to stand accountable to God for the souls that God has entrusted me to pastor. Now, that is something that I looked at, and I'm telling you, when I saw it, I said, well, I can't do that. You know what the Spirit of God said in my spirit? He said this, I know, but I can. And so let me just tell you that we all are going to be held accountable. We all are going to be held responsible. As a matter of fact, whenever God called me in the ministry, I was, I was actually 33 years old before he ever allowed me to go full-time in the ministry. He called me when I was 25, but he took eight years because, listen, I was a mess. You know, he just had a lot of work to do. But in that... When he, when he allowed me to go in the ministry, I asked him as I go, went in and, and just being in business and working in business for years, I was like, what's the job description? What am I supposed to do? And I'll never forget the day whenever it was one morning, whenever God spoke to me as I was reading through Philippians chapter 1. This was Paul's prayer in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Listen to what he says. And it is my prayer that your, he's praying for the Philippian church, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so, look at this, and so be pure and blameless for the day of, the, of Christ. Here's what he said. He said, I want your responsibility is that my people would be made ready when they stand before me. And so I want to make sure that I fulfill that because I'm going to be accountable. So again, let's continue on in this, that the truth is this, a believer's responsibility is literally our faith response 
to God's ability. But as we look at that, we need to see the stewardship He's given us, the capabilities that He's put within us, that greater is He who's in us than He who's in the world, that God says to us that we are more than conquerors in Christ, that we see those kind of realities and the truth of that everywhere we go, but also that we are going to stand before God and we're going to give an accountability. But that brings me to the third one, and this is where most of us really struggle, and that is the fallacy of our inability the fallacy of our inability. Have you ever noticed how many people who claim to be saved never step out in faith to do much of anything? They just kind of wander along. They kind of meander along. Now, in our story that Jesus tells, he talks about three different ones. One had gotten five talents, one had gotten two, and then one had gotten one. Now, you know the story, but let me just read what is said here in this passage about the one who just had received one talent, which, by the way, was over 800, equivalent to 800-something thousand dollars. It was, a, it was a sizable responsibility he was given to steward. In Matthew chapter 25, look at what it says, verse 24 through verse 27, and said, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you had been a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And here's the truth. Many of us as believers don't think that God can really use us. Many of us feel like, who am I? Let me tell you, that was one of my big issues about going into the ministry was I looked at my, I was a computer guy. I majored in mathematics and computer science. And he calls me to preach and I'm thinking, look, first of all, I am not like my dad. He's nice and I'm okay nice. I'm not all the time nice. And, and you know, he loves to be with people and I'm a loner. And I'm like, I don't, this is not a good idea. And I literally said that to him and, and, and had to go through a process in that. But you see, I was focused on what I couldn't do rather than who God is. I was focused on my strength rather than his strength. I was focused on uh, on me rather than him. Do you see what I'm saying? And so in doing that, I was focused on my inability. And even now, whenever I'm in the ministry and I'm functioning, many of you like this, is that we're out here and we're kind of thinking, you know, I what I do just really doesn't look like much. It doesn't look like I'm really accomplishing that much. A couple of years ago, um, my oldest son, Kevin, and his family, I told you, have the, have the four children. Harper's the oldest. She's my oldest granddaughter. She was about six at that time. She's going to be turning nine next week. And so she was around six years old. They have a dog named Hogan. Now, Hogan, their dog, there he is, is uh, he, he's been in the family since before any of the kids. So at this time, he was about 12 years old at this time. And, and, uh, and they live in Nashville, and they live in a in a neighborhood, but it's still busy. Nashville's still busy. And, and uh, so in that neighborhood, they, they, my son Kevin has put up one of those underground fences, you know, where a dog didn't get out. Well, Kevin was doing some work on his lawn. He was putting in his own sprinkler system. And, and in doing that, he had, he'd broke that line. And, and in doing it, Hogan saw that he went to the line and there wasn't this. So he, he said, this is my chance. And he took off. 
Well, when the family found out he is not here, they all went, oh my goodness, we got to go find him. We got to go out and find him now. Well, Harper was six at the time and she went right into problem solving mode 101. I mean, she dove in with both feet. And so she, first of all, she got his treats and she took one of his treats and she laid it at the house because she said, you know, he may be in here hiding somewhere. I'm going to put a treat out in case he's here. He'll just kind of eat the treat and stay around. And then she went out in the driveway. She took another treat and she put it out in the driveway because she said, you know, he might wander back. And if I've got a treat here, he'll eat it and stay. And then she took the rest with her thinking that if they found him and he was going to act like he wasn't coming, she'd have a handful to start working him way back to the house, you know, just doing that. So they went and got in the car and all of a sudden Harper says, stop, wait a minute. I've got to go get his picture. It hit her. They don't know. I mean, he's Hogan, but they don't know what he looks like. And so she ran inside, grabbed, her, grabbed his picture, came outside, got in the car, and as they went in their neighborhood, she had her window down, and she see a couple out there walking. And as they're walking, she, hey, 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 come here, come here. Have you seen our dog? And then she would show them the picture of the dog. I want you to see the picture that she showed them. <laughs> she had drawn that picture the day before. He had a little blue collar on. Here's what I want you to hear, okay? As adults, we look at that and say, that isn't a dog. But to a six-year-old, that was Hogan. The problem most of us have is we try to walk with God like adults rather than children. I tell our people at our church, at best, we're all preschoolers when it comes to the kingdom of God. We don't have a clue what we're doing. Honestly, we don't. I always tell our people, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know who I'm following, and I trust that he knows what he's doing. Amen? And for us, we need to see that God says, look, it's not about your ability. In fact, the parents, my son Kevin, whenever he saw the picture, you know where she had to go get the picture? She had to go on the refrigerator and pull it off of the refrigerator because her daddy saw it and said, man, that is so good, and put a magnet on it on the refrigerator. Did you know that in our lives, God looks at us and says, you know what? I'm ready to do so much more through you, and yet you're so focused on doing it right that you're not doing it at all. And he says, look, just go. I am trusting that you are going to do it according to my ability, and I'm going to do through you so much more than you could imagine. And so as we look at this, we see that, that what God wants to do is do so much more through us. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, listen to what the Bible says. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and do not hinder them. Look at this, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. God's raising kids. And he wants us to steward what he's given us by understanding that he knows we can't do it. He just has to prove to us that we can't and to allow him to live his life through us. And that brings me to the last. We've been talking about this, the reality of our capability, the certainty of our accountability, the fallacy of our inability. Now I want you to get this, the victory through our dependability. The victory through our dependability. I want you just to look and see what the scripture says. We're going to begin in verse 20 down through verse 23. He says this, 
And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five more talents, five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Years ago, whenever I had been at Gardendale with Steve for 12 years, and then God opened the door for me to go pastor church, and I'd gone actually to South Haven, Mississippi. I pastored a church in South Haven there for four years, and, and I'd been there for a couple of years. And, you know, in my mind, my, my mind was, I, I've got that if you do it right and you work hard at it, it's just going to do one of those. And yet what I found was it was doing one of those. And it seemed like everything I did was not doing well. It was just not doing right. And I remember just being frustrated about it. But, you know, in my time with the Lord, whenever I'm with him, I wouldn't say anything about it. I would just be praying harder and, God, lead me, help me. But here's what I kept finding from the Lord is he kept coming and almost badgering. He kept saying, you know, what's really wrong? What's what's really going on? And, and, And I'm just keep going. And finally, one day, he did that same thing. Well, What's, what's the real problem, David? And I just blurted out in my prayer time, I'm failing. That's what's wrong. And you know what he said? It changed my life. He said, well, who told you you were going to succeed? I'd never thought about that. And then he said this, I didn't call you to be successful. I called you to be faithful. You see what we're going to hear from the Father? He's not going to say, well done, good and successful servant. It doesn't matter the size of your bank account, the size of your business, the size of all the good things you may have done. It's according to the faithfulness of God's people, to the stewardship that he has given to us. And when we step in that, depending upon him and him seeing that we are dependable to be able to be used by him, that's when we walk in the victory. And I'm telling you, it changed my life. About eight years ago, my middle son, Brian, uh, came to me and he worked. He works for Northwestern Mutual, and he he's a financial advisor. and And he was at the time was he was doing very well. He was in the top five in the country in in his company, and was doing very well. and And whenever they they get these guys and they're at this certain level like that, they they bring them in and they want to find out what is it that's motivating you, what is driving you, because what they found is that that if it's money, it's it's short, it's short lived. You won't make it. It has to be a deeper motivation. And so at Christmas time, we were at their house and he and I were sitting there early in the morning. We had a cup of coffee and we were drinking. And he said, Dad, you know, they asked me these questions and, and I've been trying to figure out what is it that, that motivates me? And he said, Dad, it's, it's a story you told me about those, you know, that, those, those talents, those five talents and two talents. And I said, yes, sir. He said, you've always told me that I was a five talent guy. And that my greatest danger was to settle for just being good rather than accomplishing all that God has for me to accomplish. And the way I told my boys the story was, was I told them this way, and I don't know what a talent even looks like, but let's just pretend for just a minute that here we are, we're going to be 
uh, going in, when I don't know how it's going to happen whenever we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So just, it's not going to be like this, but just for a second, pretend. And somehow we've got a, a bag over us, and in the bag are these little talent balls, all right? And, 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 and so, so I'm standing in there, and, and let's just say that, and if I told my boys, I told Brian this way. I said, Brian, you're standing there, and you're looking, and you got six of them. And, and the guy in front of you only has four, and you're going... Well, at least I don't know what he's going to say to him, but at least I'm 50% higher than he is. So, so, and the guy before him goes up, and as he's watching, man, he sees the Father's face light up, and he sees the, 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 the whole reality of, the, of Jesus saying, well done. And so he's thinking, man, if he got a well done, mine's going to be a hallelujah chorus being said, until he gets up there and finds out the guy before him only started with two. And he started with five. Here's the reality. God doesn't need us, but he has chosen to work and advance his kingdom through us. And so he's not looking for man's strength, but he's looking for our surrender. And as we surrender, his strength starts to flow. He starts flowing his strength through us. Again, our statement we've been looking at is the believer's responsibility is our faith response to God's ability. One of the most misquoted passages, and yet there's so much power in it, is that Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It says this, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Many times we hear people say, you see posters like this, I can do all things, and got some guy running a marathon, or you got all those kind of things. That's not what it says. That's man saying, I can do all things if I just work harder. But God says, that's not the kingdom. The truth is this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The Lord is not looking for perfection. He's just looking for performance. He wants us to surrender and do the job that God's given to us. Steward well what he has for us. And again, he wants you to succeed more than you do. This morning, I know this. There's many of us here that live in many ways like I do when I forget this truth. You want to stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but you go back and look at all the times you've blown it. You look at the, at the drawings you've drawn and they look so terrible and you look at all the ways you've lived your life and it looks just foolish and maybe even people even laugh about it. But the Father is for you, not against you. The Father wants you to succeed. He wants you to walk in to hear him say, well done, more than you can imagine. He's ready to do that. But the problem is that we are unwilling to just surrender. Just say, Lord, I lay down my life. Every morning I start like this, Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24. Father, I just say it this way. Lord, I want to put off the old David because he's deceptive and he's deceived. And I... I, right now, I pray that you would renew me in the spirit of my mind. And I put on the new man that's been created by you in true righteousness and holiness. And then I go into my day. I start off every day in the word of God because I know me. And I know that, you know, I know some people may not be able to have to. I can't miss a day because I don't trust me that much. And whenever I go to the word, I'm not trying to get smarter. I'm trying to get ready for the day. Because I know that during the day, I'm going to have opportunities to be a blessing, to steward what he's given me in the right way. And I know for you, 
God is saying, if you'll just surrender to me, I'll do more through you than you could ever imagine. Take that from a guy who's a quiet introvert, was a math major, and really was a math major because I didn't want to talk to people. That's the honest truth. My wife could tell you. And when he called me to preach, I'm like, that is a bad idea, really. (laughs) And I'm not saying I'm all that great, but I'm saying over the last 30 plus years, God has shocked me and how he's used me and what he's done. And I'm saying to you, he's ready to do the same. Be encouraged. I look at your church and man, I'm so proud of what you're doing. I I look and I've talked with Steve about it. You're a healthy church. You can see the signs. You can see the signs. You're a healthy church. We've got 10 years before we celebrate the 2000th anniversary. What if we take the next 10 years and change the world? Not by our strength, but by surrendering to the resources God's given us and allowing him to live through us in such a dynamic way that the kingdom advances through Memphis and through Tennessee and through Mississippi and beyond. God is doing that now, and I want to be part of it, and I know you do too.